Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Welcome to another show. As always, thank you very much indeed for being here. Thank you for listening. I don't tend to look at the stats for the podcast with any great regularity. I know some people, they obsess over them. They obsess over the uh, the position in the iTunes charts and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, really, I don't tend to bother with that. I look in maybe once every uh, every couple of months. Um, but I do know a record-breaking month when I see one. And we've had more listens and more downloads in the last 30 days than we've ever, ever had before. So I just want to take a moment to say thank you very much indeed for being with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support in all the various ways. And uh, we all appreciate it here a, a huge amount. Um, and that's basically that. I just wanted to say that without getting too uh, overwrought or emotional. I mean, that on top of a 1-0 win for the Arsenal on the opening day of the season, that's enough to set any man going. It really is. On the show today, chatting about all kinds of things, Amy Lawrence will be along now in a few moments' time, so we'll uh, we'll have a good natter with Amy, as we always do. And uh, a little bit later on, of course, we will look ahead to the game against Burnley this weekend, uh, our first home game of the season, sadly not taking place at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. I know traditional kickoff times are maybe a thing of the past. Maybe, of course, they are a thing of the past because we've got Friday night football, we've got Saturday night football, we've got football on Sunday, we've got Monday night football across the Premier League, so the weekend stretches out, and uh, of course TV is having its impact there. But there is something... Something nice, something traditional, particularly early in the season, about a 3 p.m. kickoff on a Saturday in August. It's still warm. Hopefully the sun is out. And from what I can tell from the fixture list, our first 3 p.m. Saturday game is in November. <laughs> November 2nd, scheduled um, against Wolves, assuming that TV doesn't move that fixture um, between now and then. Maybe they've made the picks for TV, but I'm not sure. Oh, they have. They have. I think, no, they haven't. They haven't. I was looking here at the fixture list on Arsenal.com and it said BT Sport, but that's because of that's because of the Europa League. So maybe we could go longer, maybe a whole season without a 3 p.m. kickoff on a Saturday. Is that possible? Is that feasible? Is it right? I mean, I think we've given up on the pretense that the broadcasters give a single shit about um, what happens to fans. And of course, we can't overlook the fact that clubs are complicit in this too, they take the money. They know they know their fans are going to be uh, pulled from pillar to post throughout the season. So, um, if we're pointing fingers of blame right now, there's 
plenty of fingers to go around or something. Anyway, the 3 p.m. kickoff will happen, you know, at some point, and we can have a party. We'll have a little bit of a podcast party when when that goes down. So the week since we beat Newcastle, it's been, you know, relatively quiet because uh, from a footballing point of view, we've done that thing where we've won a game and it demands a certain amount of analysis and um, discussion. But for the most part, because it was the first game of the season, because we knew the kind of team we were going to have to pick for various reasons, the uh, the injuries, the players coming back late, the absence of, of Ozil and Kalasinac because of their security incidents, we, we could all see why the team we picked was picked. And it might have looked a little makeshift. You've got two 19-year-olds in there, Reese Nelson and Joe Willock. But, you know, we did what we had to do. And, and you can see that in the coming weeks, the makeup of this team is going to shift quite a lot when we get players back fit and ready and raring to go and this competitiveness in the squad and Unai Emery is trying to figure out what's the best way to put his midfield together, what way is he going to put his back four together, for example, when we have Tierney and when we have Hector Bellerin fit again. So there are going to be lots of interesting strands developing over the course of this season and over the uh, over the opening weeks of the season. And of course, uh, we'll we'll do all that here on the podcast, on the Arscast Extra, and uh, on the site, on Arsblog and Arsblog News. Right, let's get on with the show, and I am delighted to welcome back, as always, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Happy new season. Thank you, Andrew, and the same to you. Happy new... And everyone out there. Yeah. Happy new career as well. We might talk about that now in a minute, uh, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. But... I'd like to know, first and foremost, what you think of the business that Arsenal did in the transfer market this summer, because for a while it looked as if key issues were not going to be addressed. And then there was a flurry of activity, which I think left everybody both contented and somewhat surprised uh, about you know who came in and the, maybe the quality of some of the players that came in. So in terms of the way the squad is, is set up now going into this new season, um, how do you view it? Well, I think I'd sum it up by the amount of messages I've had this week from various <laughs> people who have suddenly been uh, begging for, for any spare tickets that I might know of <laughs> for the match against Burnley. And when I compared that to kind of a month, six weeks ago, sort of kind of, uh, I suppose, when you're in the, 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 the thick of the closed season um, before the teams come back to training and things were pretty slow and everyone was whinging about renewing their season ticket and did they really want to and uh, it looked mm. so dreary and that, I mean it tells you how even if we know that we ought to think about it a little bit more um, broadly than just the transfer window. In the end, we're all complete idiots <laughs> that are like like lovesick teenagers that that fall apart. Um, you, you know, at the sight of an exciting, shiny new signing, and yeah. get totally overwhelmed. So, you know, there there is an excitement. Um, well, I think this excitement is quite justified uh, by virtue of the fact that the the quality of player who has come in um, is quite exciting in different ways. And also I would add it to in many ways, the, some of the changes that happened last year and also some of the outgoings. And it feels like 
when you look at the squad overall, it's 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 much more of a squad in the post Wenger years, whereas last season's squad still felt very much like um, a club trying to reinvent itself a bit by chucking on a, a mixture of, of of old clothes with with something new that they'd bought. It, it was a bit mishmash, um, and you still felt the influence of all the the aspects of the team. Um, and its vulnerabilities that had had been quite set. Uh, whereas I think now it might not be felt straight away. It might be something that we can judge a lot better in three months' time when new players have bedded in, um, youngsters have maybe been uh, given more of the opportunities we saw at Newcastle. Uh, that I found it fascinating even just at, uh, up at the first game of season, looking at the back four, thinking it's really possible to imagine an entirely new back four yeah. playing a game in six weeks' time. Yeah. It, it, you know, for example, um, it, obviously the, the the big dream up front of everybody's excited to imagine um, the trio of Aubameyang, Lacazette and Pepe kind of aping that style of the Liverpool front three that's been so successful for them lately. Plus there's a, a intrigue in, in trying to establish how the best balanced midfield will present itself. And I think that might take a bit of trial and error, a few people finding finding form and rhythm and combinations. So what is Arsenal's best 11 going to be in six to eight weeks? Obviously, still a lot of that depends on who's, who's fit, but yeah. could look quite different. And uh, I think that, that a lot of credit for that has to go f- from the fact that Arsenal have probably done a lot more business, both in and out, than anybody anticipated. Yeah, it, it does. So it feels fresh. Yeah, it feels fresher. It, and even with the outgoings, to be honest, and sure. there may well be a couple more to come. Mm. It just, I think pe- people don't like to imagine that they're going to see the same old, same old when things haven't been amazing. Yeah. So if you're making sure it's not going to feel same old because you've got some new faces plus some of the guys who might have frustrated <laughs> people in the past may not still be around although sure. that remains to be seen it, you know it, it, it just feels a bit fresher yeah it? it's a like it's a considerable lick of paint to the squad and there's you know the the old cliche about signings putting bombs on seats it might be a cliche but it's also true um, and people do have something to look forward to in terms of what they can expect from the squad. And I think from my point of view anyway, I look at the squad and I think, OK, look, maybe it's not ideal that on deadline day your central defensive recruit is um, is coming in from Chelsea, which isn't to say anything against David Luiz, but um, maybe the central defensive market is... is uh, indicative of how that particular piece of business was done but all the gaps in the squad have been pretty much filled you know there's a a new left back and that's an area people wanted there is a central defender and he's got lots of premier league experience even if you know you you can perhaps envisage a scenario where where there are moments where we might hold our heads in our hands with david louise but would that be any more than than some of the other players who who frustrated us over the last couple of years midfield ceballos we've got pepe in we've got a young brazilian forward in there's a lot of young players pushing through as well and i think people are really um really hopeful uh, about these young talents coming through because for a lot of us we can 
we can sort of identify moments in in our Arsenal supporting history where there have been rebirths, if you like, or rejuvenations, and young players coming through the academy have been a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I'm fascinated by this transition team that Arsenal put into place this summer. And I think it, it, what it, I remember when Vinay and Raul first sort of appeared on the scene and they gave a few interviews uh, outlining their ideas and, and what they wanted to do. And while a lot of their messaging was you know, we're carrying on the work that has been done previously. It's no. not a great big shake-up. There were definitely certain aspects that you felt were things that they wanted to do their way and things that mattered to them. And, you know, it's, it's the classic talking the talk and walking the walk situation. But one of the things that they did talk about, and obviously youth and, and, and the Arsenal DNA and, and trying to promote young talent, and uh, when they've got Permat Saka in front, charge of the academy who is a, a, a thinker that I really rate in football, who given time and space to put in some of his own ideas, I think will only be doing good things. Yeah. Um, you could tell that one of the things they were both a little bit frustrated with, which is not an Arsenal-only uh, problem, but is, is more of a, an English problem, is that 18 to 21-year-old sort of... Uh, dead zone um and essentially when english football sort of slowly did away with what used to be reserve football and reserve team football used to be quite competitive um i certainly remember when i was growing up that i would often go to highbury and watch a reserve game and you would see a mixture of uh older players you know grown experienced blokes who either were coming back from injury or just weren't in this in the first 11 um mixing in with the the youngsters coming through and it was you know it gave the youngsters a, a real sense of where they needed to be and what they needed to be able to manage to get into adult football if you like yeah but really that that uh pathway got obliterated in recent years where they've just you know the there's all the academy football, which is sort of highly monitored um, and uh, and in its own little bubble, if you like. And then you've got the scrutiny of pay, playing in front of 60,000 people and a whole new world out there yeah. and playing against, you know, much stronger, tougher, wilier opponents than you. And it's a difficult bridge to cross. Um, which is why you've seen increasingly in the last few years, the loan market has changed a lot. And it, it's been particularly interesting to see, obviously, Arsenal have begun to utilise that with a view to sending players abroad if they think they're going to develop better. Yeah. Um, I mean, the case of, of Nketiah going to Leeds is a really interesting one. Yeah, I was going to... It wasn't just sent anywhere. There was a... There was a a bidding process. Yeah, yeah. your colleague in the um, at the, right. in the Athletic, Phil Hay, has written an, uh, an amazing piece. So interesting to read how this process took place. So for people who, who haven't yet subscribed to the Athletic and can't read it, I'll uh, I'll urge them to do that because it is a really uh, interesting piece. But also, just to give them the nuts and bolts of it, there were three clubs involved. It was Fortuna, Dusseldorf, Bristol City and Leeds United. They were all brought uh, in various guises to London Colney to make a presentation to Arsenal about how they thought they would use Eddie Nketiah 
Uh, Leeds came out on top, but the Bristol City manager was there. The sporting director of Fortuna Dusseldorf was there to make his pitch. And that was a key consideration for Arsenal. And, you know, we've spoken on this podcast before, Amy, about um, young players at Arsenal going out on loan. And it has been in the past very much a case of out of sight, out of mind. You know, there was the, the, the young defender who is still at the club right now. Um, who went to a Premier League team and played very well, even though that team got relegated, but throughout the season really got no feedback whatsoever from Arsenal about how he was performing or whether he was living up to expectations or, or what the point of his loan move was in general. But there seems to be a lot more attention now. And this this feels like precision management in a way. It's like chalk think, and cheese. I think it is. And I think it's very simple that they've identified this particular area they know they've got a good academy and they've produced good players and i think it's instructive that if you look at the money incoming this summer uh quite a a a nice tidy sum of that has come from either sell on on uh fees or direct fees for players who've been through the youth system be it jeffrey nederlade um uh, Ishmael Benasser or or dominic thompson or or uh, christian bielik so and indeed, to an extent, you can add Alex, Alex Awobi to that. So sure. it, it, it's it's a really critical part of the operation, and it's one that they've decided they are going to shake up and try and get right, which is when we have got a great talent pool, um, Arsenal are well-situated in, in, in a good part of London with a massive catchment area, uh, with great contacts uh, abroad, and it's a club that people want to come and play for, come and learn from. The academy is a fantastic place. And if they can use that talent pool and think, right, when we get to the point where the boys coming through are, are, are hitting that 18 to 21-year-old 20 critical point, either Arsenal do whatever they can as precisely as possible to improve that player to the point that they can play for Arsenal, mm. or you're clever enough to use the, the, the market and use loans and use their experiences to make sure that when you when you uh, decide you don't want them, that you generate a decent fee. Yeah. So it's a good business model and it's a good sporting model. And it's new and they've got a whole bunch of different people who are part of this transition team at the club, including coaches, goalkeeping coaches, contracts people, um, data people, who are who are whose job it is to basically maximise the potential of players in that age bracket. Now, now different players will find themselves in different situations there because there's no one size fits all a scenario. Yeah. Hence, Emil Smith Rowe went off last season. He had injuries. It, it was a difficult loan period. We're, we're going to start again to see what happens with him. Um, Reese Nelson had his. His year in the Bundesliga, um, some of it was really, really promising. Some of it was probably more of a learning curve for him. He came back and had his chance to stake a claim in the summer, and they've decided it's best to keep him here. Uh, you know, Willock um, has clearly had a brilliant summer and impressed enough towards the end of last season that he was the man who came on from Ezra Özil in the final Um and it's considered best to keep him here and best to get Eddie on loan. Yeah. It's, you know, it's horses for courses. They're all doing different things. It depends on their position. It depends on their personality. It depends on their needs. It depends on their contract. It depends on their rate of development. But all in all, I think it's, 
I, I, th- I, mean, I think it's encouraging that as a club, they're serious about doing everything they can mm. to either get players really good enough to be in the team or good enough to command a decent fee. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about Rain Adelaide and um, Benesau and so on. I've, I've, you know, I've seen some criticism almost of, oh, Arsenal sort of blew it. You know, they had these kids and they didn't work. And I mean, I think you have to factor in that people do mature at different times yeah. and do develop at different rates and so on. And actually, maybe in different circumstances, those guys might have flourished at Arsenal, but it turned out not. But they have at least got you know, some, some financial benefit from, yeah. from that investment, if you like, in that talent. Sure. But I mean, look, as well, you have to take into account the circumstances into which they might have come into the Arsenal team. And over the last couple of years, you know, it's been difficult enough for, for really experienced players to, to find consistency. So if you're throwing in young players into into a team which isn't quite as functional as it should be, you know, um, they may not have developed or they may not develop in the same way. So, um the the salon clauses have been important. Are you encouraged by by the the progression of what what appears to be or feels to me anyway like the progression uh, across the board this summer in terms of what we've done and how we've done it and and there was a big spotlight and a big pressure I think on Raul Sanyehi because when Sven Mislintat left it was basically him saying, okay, this is on me now. I'm the head of football. Uh, he was clear during the summer that, that Edu had little to do, that w- whatever happened this summer, it wouldn't be on Edu anyway. Um, so he sort of took that responsibility. He seems to have had a grand old time during the summer, Al Yeah, He's enjoying the shit out of life, isn't he? He's, every time you see him, he's just got his arm around somebody or he's smiling his head off. You know, he's having a great time. And who would blame him? He's, you know, he's pulled it out of the hat this summer. But, you know, there's a bigger, bigger picture thing. You know, we've we've sold better. We've um, we've bought in a way or brought players in in a way that we didn't really expect. Nicola Pepe, for example, is somebody who who felt completely and utterly out of our uh, reach at the start of the summer. But, you know, we're talking about him maybe starting on Saturday at Burnley. So, you know, Edu has come in. We've got this improvement with the loan system, the way players are going out. There's a you know, it's all it all feels um, a bit more modern and a bit more structured and like quite a lot of thought has gone into it. Yeah, I, I do think so. I think a lot of thought has gone into the, the whole background structure of putting things in place. And, you know, uh, again, going back to the, the first of, uh, meetings with Vinay and Raul where they were trying to explain what they were about. Um, um, and I remember them saying, like, look, Arsenal has to be really efficient and Arsenal has to be really smart in all the decision making that, that the club makes. Because... While the while there is, they're not um, not poor poor relations football. Yeah. There are people around there with budgets that are incomparable, um, and you know when the mega deals are going around, it tends not to be Arsenal. And being out the Champions League for the time that it's been, which is now extended, you know these are all things that mean that there's a reality around and the self sustaining model and how they can operate. So. Acting smart, acting efficient is what 
they were striving for. And I think they are putting those things into place. However, I would also say that I think in any transfer window, as organised and prepared as you are, you're dealing in very sharky waters and things can take all sorts of turns. So I think you have to be a bit lucky as well. Yeah. I think things have to fall into place for you. Um, so Raul is our great white. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you said that. Okay. All right. I'll take that one. Fair enough. Mm. Um, like it, it has been uh, a good summer in, in terms of the transfer business. And we can look at the players who've come in and what they might bring to the team and how they might impact the way that we play. Having missed out on Champions League last season um, via the Premier League when we really should have qualified, and then again in the Europa League final, do you expect Unai Emery to slightly change his approach this season in terms of the kind of football that he wants his team to play. He seemed very clear during the summer when he spoke that he wanted a winger. He wanted somebody who could add something to our attack. Um, do you do you expect him to play more expansive football? Because it felt la- last season like he tried to fix the defense by packing it with defenders. And that didn't really work. Um, There is a pressure on him, isn't there, to finish top four this season because whether he gets another chance the season after if he doesn't achieve that this season is is a big question. So, you know, is is he going to sort of free himself a bit uh, of the shackles that, that constrained him at times last season, do you think? That's a big question. Um, And... In in essence, because it's crunch time, because there is this break in his contract at the end of the season, which means that uh, should either party wish, there can be a amicable party in the ways. Um, there's obviously a, a, a pressure to deliver now that that didn't exist in the same way last time. Um, I, I, whether that frees him up, I don't know. He's. I, it's interesting when you reflect how. A lot of last season, people were asking the question, what is Arsenal's identity under Unai Emery? And found that quite a puzzling um, aspect to try and uh, unpick. And, you know, with new players coming in, bear in mind, Arsenal are going to have to wait a bit. I think there could be some bumps, you know, and there could be some bumps quite soon. Liverpool away in just over a week's time with a, a team who's still waiting for fit players to regain sharpness and, 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 you know, important players who won't be available for a little while longer. That's, you know, that's a big old challenge. Um, there is a lot of enthusiasm, but people also have to be a bit realistic about what can be achieved and how quickly. And I do think that it's only fair to expect um, Arsenal to be Emery wants them to do. Uh, maybe in another three, you know, two to three months. Um, you know, it's going to take a while before Kieran Tierney probably comes in. I'm massively excited about that signing, by the way. Yeah. Um, from what you, you, from what people are saying, uh, who know him a bit better, uh, attitude-wise, he, he just seems like a tremendous acquisition, but also a real defender's defender. Someone who um, has that desire and energy and grit that is just totally instinctive and part of their game um, in any situation. I think he's going to be 
uh, a real bonus for for, for the defence. And Bellerin coming back will also help things a lot. And finding the right blend of the centre halves is is going to be interesting. Um, and then get and getting everyone together as four. But also, you know, any defence needs that protection in front of them. And and I, I still think, yeah, Una Emery spent a lot of last season talking about balance. It was like a you know the search for balance, and you can you can understand why it would have been difficult to have talents of the of the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette up front and be feeling that you can't really just put out a very offensive team without worrying about losing some sort of extra body somewhere to try and help out in the problem area at, at, at the back or in front of the defence. So. Um, I just think patience is is needed, but at the same time, you know what crowds are like. We know what what everybody's like. Things can turn very quickly. Whether Emery is the type to throw caution to the wind, it, it's, it's it doesn't. It, he hasn't shown that much evidence of it so far. Mm. In fact, there was a, times when it felt he was a bit overly conservative last season. Yeah, but that's the question, isn't it? If it's now or never, if you're going to be the Arsenal manager. And you've got to impress the hierarchy enough to have your extension yeah. or beyond. And you've got to get back in the Champions League because having had two good opportunities and really messed it up in uh, in very galling circumstances last season, I don't think there'll be that much general patience for missing out again. Yeah, I, I don't either. Um what, what do you expect the role, or how do you expect the role of Edu to develop um, over the coming years? We hope, obviously, that he's a success in his job and he's he's got to look after, I think, Sonia, he said, the medium to long-term um, outlook of the football club. I mean, is he expected to have an impact on the type of football that we play like, is that something that is going to be a core philosophy of Arsenal? This, you know, attacking, exciting football in the same way that it is at Barcelona or Ajax, for example, where you mention those names and people know immediately what kind of football that they're going to play. You know, under the Wenger years, um, we had that sort of identity and, and you could see managers, successful managers, who would have been anathema to that. They just would not have fit into what people considered the Arsenal identity to be. So as as somebody who was one of Wenger's uh, lieutenants, who was part of probably the greatest team that, that any of us have ever seen at Arsenal, do you feel, do you think he's going to have a, a an impact on on that? Is that a conversation he might have with Emery or is that something that might be identifiable in the recruitment that we might do in the future? Edu, the, the kind of man that he is, uh, the experience that he has so far, um, will probably not be coming in trying to be too dominant straight away. Mm. And I think he recognises that he wants to start off by just trying to be supportive to people. Um, rather than coming in and knocking down uh, Emery's door saying, right, we've got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> None of this conservative stuff. Come on. you know, I, I, I don't think that that will be the way that he will be thinking or sure. acting. Um, I think he's a, a very 
shrewd observer of things and he will but he's doing a lot of watching he's placed himself very much around the first team at the moment at the moment so he's traveling with the team he's watching training every day um he's involving himself in a way that you know some people in that position are much more away doing business and talking and meetings and this and that but it looks like from the the get-go edu sees that he brings value by being close to the first team. That's probably particularly helpful at this moment in time with what's going on with Erzlan Kalasnac, for example, where there's a, you know, a genuine, there's been a genuinely difficult situation that, that needs help within the squad. Um, I think that he's a good talker with everybody and he will be talking and listening and, and developing his um, ideas about what he feels is important to address for the now and for going forward. Uh, I think he'll probably do things quite softly, softly, but if it's a, if a hard decision needs making, I think there's, he'll have no fear of making it either. Yeah. Like, I mean, Sanya, he's obviously vastly experienced in the football administration world and Edu, uh, you know, one of the, I guess, most high profile, high pressured jobs um, in Brazilian football, uh, you know, working with the uh, the Brazil manager, and there's a lot of pressure to produce and to basically win the World Cup when you're in that position with Brazil. So, you know, he seems like a nice man, um, and Sanya, he seems like quite an avuncular um, guy. But when it comes right down to it, I'm guessing there is a, a sort of underlying ruthlessness to the decision making um, that that perhaps has been missing from Arsenal for a while. But also, Andrew, you've got to bear in mind that, you know, one of the things that with this restructuring that has gone on at the club is there's a lot of people around and there's a lot of people involved. They've got this big sort of executive committee with a whole bunch of different uh, leaders of different parts of the club all yeah. connected with the, the there's a graph that uh, that they, they sometimes put out to show how it all operates. And sometimes organizing everything by committee just involves a lot of chatting a lot of debate <laughs> and actually not that much clear decision making because it's quite hard to get a you know a unified voice or yeah. a universal sort of agreed de decision so i think having edu there is helpful because even before um when it was uh, uh, Raúl and Vinay sort of very much presenting themselves as as you know, the two heads and and one one body, sort of in charge of of, of the day to day stuff of Arsenal. Sure, I, I I think it's quite helpful to have a figure who is kind of expected to be the final word on on almost any aspect of the club, which which. Uh, I think Edu can handle that. Mm. You mentioned the uh, Ozil Kalasinac situation. Um, updates from Unai Emery's press conference this afternoon, Thursday, as we're recording. Um, Ozil and Kalasinac are back in training. He's going to decide on Friday if, if they can play. Unai Emery says mentally they're both 100% ready. Ozil has been a little bit ill this week, apparently, so that might uh, have an impact on that. But um, I guess that's a positive development, considering how 
difficult the situation appeared to be uh, maybe this time last week when they were left out of the squad to, to go to the Newcastle game over security fears and security incidents. If they are being considered, at least for selection, it suggests that there has been some progress made there. So that in itself is, is a positive development. Yeah, I think the more things appear normal to the outside world, mm. the, the better. Um, it gives us a sense that that there's some kind of moving on and some sort of everyone trying to return to normality. Um, having said that, I think it's critical that people don't underestimate the significance of not just the situation they were in, but the situation that they sort of remain in. Because if anybody in their life has had any kind of uh, harrowing incident, and most people don't, are not lucky, lucky enough to go through life and escape you know some kind of really difficult scenario um they they've they're still in kind of post-trauma mode that's inevitable i mean they wouldn't be human if they weren't still mm. feeling some of the effects of the way that their personal worlds have been completely turned upside down in the last couple of weeks you know, everything that they thought was normal about the structure that they placed around them in their life um it just got obliterated and it's 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 great if they're in consideration it would be great if they're back on the pitch uh the best thing of all is if they basically feel happy and safe and only they can look in the mirror and will know it how they feel um but it's important that there's not too much pressure and scrutiny on them as well mm. Well, we'll see. I, I guess, you know, the club appear to have prioritised the the human side of it first, um, which they are right to do, and, and the sporting side of it comes after. Uh, but hopefully the two things can uh, can come together and we'll have them available um, throughout the season. Um, very finally, people uh, who have listened to this podcast a long time will have known you and your writing uh, at The Guardian and The Observer for many years, but you've made a big change. Uh, this year, and you're now working for The Athletic. Um, can you tell people perhaps a little bit about what they can expect um, from your writing there and, and maybe why you decided to make the change? Well, I mean, you know, basically, I, I couldn't hold back on my jealousy of you working with James from Gunner Blog any longer. <laughs> so, you know, it was really simple. Okay. The lure, the lure <laughs> um, of James, his incredible, his incredible musk. <laughs> Indeed. Um, no, it's 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 a, an exciting opportunity that I have to say for a lot of us just seemed to fall in our laps. It wasn't like people were suddenly looking for something radically different. And what has been, I suppose, the most exciting element of it is some you do see now and again online and, you know, I totally understand it. I think we will feel a similar way. Why should I pay for something when I can get something pretty similar for free? Um, people don't like subscribing unless they think it's something that's so brilliant that they really want it in their lives, which mm. is why so many of us don't think twice about a, a monthly payment for Netflix or Spotify or whatever it might be, Amazon uh, uh, Prime or, or the things that, that we like um, in our worlds. But... Uh, I think the mistake is to think the athletic is just tr just doing what everything everybody else is doing, but asking you to pay for it. What I found really exciting when I first met them was this 
concept that they're presenting of trying to pr- try to offer something different. You know, you go to, I thought it was really telling at the, it kind of all came home to me, I suppose, what we were trying to do at the opening game of the season at Newcastle. And um, my old colleague from The Guardian who was there crashing out the match report, not really watching the game because you've got to get 800 words in before the final whistle, tied to the words of wisdom from the press conference. There's a kind of hamster wheel that you're on, mm. of, uh, you know, of, of just churning out you know, preview match report, post-match quotes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on and on throughout the season. And uh, what they're asking us to do at The Athletic is think outside the box, take time. The deadlines have sort of not exactly, they've melted away to an extent because you're not tied to making sure that you, your stuff's in the paper in time to make it for the first edition that reaches the Outer Hebrides yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It's because uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's a more modern version coming away from, from print. So and it was amazing to just go. We had a, a Newcastle person watching the game who spent the, most of the day with the fans of Newcastle who were outside Sports Direct in the city centre boycotting uh Mike Ashley and then they instead of going to the game they spent the first half down the pub. Yeah. And so you got a totally different um perspective on what matters and what's going on at that club instead of you know so and so gave the ball away and uh, Arsenal scored the only goal of the game and Steve Bruce reflects on yeah not winning his first match back at Newcastle which is being written up 20 times you know all over the place. Uh, and like, likewise, I just had the opportunity to actually watch the game and really try and see what was going on in the team um, with it, without that kind of mentalness of, of, of you know, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I can't tell you how many times you're doing a match report and you miss something significant because you're writing. So yeah. you just someone catch up and someone tells you or you see a replay or whatever, but you can't really watch the game with the same forensic eye as you'd like to. Um, and and it's about having a theme or an idea and, and doing it more expansively and taking your time over it. So it was uh, it's it's a bit different. I think they're trying to come away from the the obvious stories and and try and give people a few more layers. Um, and from what I've read so far uh, from a lot of my new colleagues, I've been kind of blown away. So I hope that people will see that it's maybe an addition rather than an alternative to your football consumption. And all I would say on the sales pitch front, sorry guys, is there is a free trial if you want to have a look. And um, I think it's a pretty decent deal in what runs for the whole of August, which is uh, half price for the annual subscription works out at £2.49 per month, just a shade under £30 a year, which if anyone feels like giving it a go, we'd be really, really happy to... <laughs> to have you read our stuff. Well, there you go. It, yeah, it is. It is a good deal. I have to say, and the quality of the the stuff that's been on there uh, since I subscribed has been uh, has been fantastic. Uh, well, look, I you know I wish you uh, the very best of luck with it, and of course we'll talk again during the season. Uh, I'm sure, and we'll try and keep these podcasts to happy moments, and hopefully Arsenal can give us plenty <laughs> of happy moments. Um, we'll catch you soon, Amy. Thanks as always. Thanks, Andrew. Enjoy the season. 
Thank you very much indeed to Amy. You can find her on Twitter in the usual place at Amy Lawrence 71 That's at Amy Lawrence 71 And of course, writing this season along with many others, including Gunnar Blog and Michael Cox and many more uh, over at The Athletic. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Right then, we've got our first home game of the season this Saturday, an early enough kickoff. Is it 12.30? I think it's a 12.30 kickoff against Burnley. I should, as always, check. Why don't I ever check? 12.30, 12.30, I was right. Why didn't I have confidence and faith in my own knowledge of Arsenal fixtures? Why do I doubt myself? It's because I'm wrong quite often. That's why I do it. But anyway, we've got Burnley and Unai Emery has got lots to think of when it comes to selecting his team because some of the players who played against Newcastle played pretty well. I'm thinking Callum Chambers in particular did very well alongside Socrates, with the caveat, of course, that Newcastle didn't do a great deal to test us from a defensive point of view. Nevertheless, I thought Chambers was good. He was solid. He was reliable. He didn't slide. He didn't slide on his arse. He didn't stand there waving his arms around after he inexplicably stopped allowing the opposition striker to sneak in and score a goal. He didn't go... Yeah, look, you know. You know the stuff that he didn't do. Um, But Unai Emery, I think, has got a decision to make because we do have two very tricky, difficult games coming up. One away at Liverpool and one at home to Tottenham in the North London Derby on September 1st. Does he stick with Callum Chambers on the basis of his Newcastle performance? Or, if he's thinking that David Luiz is the experienced guy to come in alongside Socrates, does he not need to give him a game rather than throw him in for his debut at Anfield? I mean, of course, at Anfield, we could easily play a system in which Luiz, Socrates, and uh, Chambers all play 
Because while I think the emphasis has been on the back four for the most part, I think there are going to be games when Unai Emery will try and use a back three to try and offset some of the opposition's attacking strengths. And Liverpool seems to me the kind of game in which he might do that. So um, this weekend will be interesting to see what he does. I mean, there's no real choice when it comes to the right back. I think Socrates is in the team. Left back, will it be Kolasinac? He is available, 100% mentally ready, according to Emery. But whether or not he's called upon remains to be seen. So... It's one of those where I think Louise is going to come in just because we need to give him a game before Anfield. We need to get him kind of a little bit more match fit and match sharp because that's the kind of game that he's going to play. Granit Xhaka is a doubt in midfield, which means potentially another start for Joe Willock. It could mean that Danny Ceballos comes into midfield. It could mean that Lucas Torreira comes into midfield, depending on how fit he is after arriving back late from his summer travels. Whatever way you want to look at it, though, there are good options in there for Emery. I know we also have Mohamed Elneny, but he wasn't a player very often used in the Premier League by the manager last season, and there is talk of him leaving the club. Him and Skodran Mustafi could be departures before the transfer windows across Europe close, but um, you know, there's still a couple of weeks to go for those deals to be done. Whether whether the absence of Xhaka would open up a midfield door for Elneny, we'll have to wait and see. And then the other big question is, is Nicolas Pepe fit to start? Is he sharp enough? Is he fit enough? Would he be better off coming on from the bench if we need him later on rather than playing him for 60 minutes when he when he's not quite up to speed? It's a, it's a difficult enough decision for Emery, but of course everybody would like to see a front three of Aubameyang, Lacazette and Pepe as soon as possible because, well, it's exciting. You can see the qualities that they have, the pace, the finishing ability, the dribbling skills, the all-round game of Lacazette. You know, it, it it's tantalizing the idea of those three lining up together in red and white and for the opposition defense to look at them and go, uh-oh, uh-oh, we've had easier days than this. So we'll wait and see. Uh, Emery said he's going to decide closer to the game. He says it depends. Pepe is training. He's improving with us. He's knowing us, our idea, our style. He's able to understand his teammates better physically, also getting better. He's more close to helping us than he was at the beginning, afterwards giving us an impact during the match. Is that a hint that he might just start on the bench? that maybe the most effective way of using him is to throw him on with half an hour to go against a Burnley side that hopefully will be tiring because we'll have had lots of the ball and we'll have made them run around a lot. And then you bring on Pepe and, uh, you know, let him at them. If we're a goal up maybe or two goals up at that point and Burnley have to come out and play, what a counter-attacking weapon you can bring on from the bench. And the defenders will be going, not just uh-oh, but uh-oh, fuck, shit bollocks fuck fuck so maybe that's what Emery is thinking we'll we'll wait and see Mesedoza we don't know if he's going to be involved even though Emery says he and Kalasinac are ready uh, because he's been a little bit sick during the week his participation will be decided tomorrow or, or Saturday I guess um So, look, all we can do is look forward to our first home game of the season, hope that we can continue 
where we left off against Newcastle, but sort of continue better, if you like. Improve, I think, is the word I'm looking for here. And perhaps with more players fit and available and another week of training under their belts, we might get a bit more of an all-round performance from Arsenal. And, you know, I'm not complaining about what happened at Newcastle in any way. I think that game is uh, easy to look at in the context and we can just put it over there now. It's done. It's done and dusted. It's in its box over there. We don't really need to look at it uh, again. But how nice would it be if we could really turn one on tomorrow and ahead of those two tricky games coming up against Liverpool and Spurs, it would be good if we could, uh, you know, find some form and find a bit of range and find some some uh, creativity within the team. Lots of chances, lots of shots, and hopefully, hopefully, lots of goals as well. We will, of course, be covering the match on the website, on the live blog, which gives you live text commentary of every single Arsenal game, text commentary and goal clips and all the rest. So remember, if at any point this season you are stuck and you can't see a game and you want to keep up with it, check out the live blog on the website. We've got you covered. We've absolutely got you covered. Um, I am going to leave it there for this uh, particular Arscast. Thanks as ever for listening. Really, really appreciate it, as I always say, but I always mean it too. James and I will be here on Monday. We're going to record an Arsecast Extra, hopefully looking back on a successful weekend for Arsenal and an unsuccessful weekend for everyone else. I don't know how that's possible, but somehow, somehow, I hope it happens. Have yourselves a great weekend. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Holy God FM. One of the great mysteries of life is whether or not Adrian Gervitz wanted to write a classic because he was in the attic in the first place and he was inspired by his surroundings or was it simply a handy rhyme? We'll never know, of course, because Adrian Gervitz was eaten by a panther while on safari just outside Ballymore Eustace in 1993. We have a letter here from one of our listeners. It says, Dear Holy God FM, My name is Mike Dean, and I'm very worried. You see, the company I work for have introduced a new technology, so any decision I make can be overturned by what they call a video assistant referee. And I'm very worried that this will undermine 
my authority as the man in the middle. Do you have any advice for me? Mike, my advice to you is not to worry about trivial things like this, because if the last 15 years have told us anything, they could introduce an army of referee robots, and you would still find some way of making it all about Mike Dean. You might even go as far as to say that despite all the things that change in the Premier League, you remain the never-ending story. Christ, oh, I wish you'd end at some point. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.